Welcome to It's Just My Thoughts, the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mika, and this is episode three of It's Just My Thoughts, the podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I want to start by discussing uh, my weekend, which was absolutely crazy. I went to Charlotte with my sister and some of her friends, and we all went out to Trap Karaoke that was there. And this is my first time ever being to Trap Karaoke. And I don't think they thought I was going to go because I really do believe that my sister thinks I'm a square. But um, but really, I don't listen to rap music that much. I listen to some stuff, a lot of old rap. Um, I don't really listen to much new rap. So I don't really know a lot of the songs that was being played and all that. But um, but it was fun. It was really fun. It was definitely for the culture. Um, it was interesting. I, I The... The room was sold out, so it was just full of people, and it was just people everywhere. I mean, you're like shoulder to shoulder, and I don't think I've ever seen that much twerking in my life for an entire night, and it was four hours long, and so it was it was hot in there, for one, And uh, but it was definitely a experience, and if you're really into, um, you know, trap music, rap, all that, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I would, I, I would recommend going, but it was, it was definitely, definitely, um, for the culture. And it was just nice to see everybody just be free and just be themselves. And, um, so yeah, so it was, it was really cool. And the performances were really good. It was just one guy, um, who I felt like was the best performance of the night. And I think he performed city girls. And, um, so when he came up there, I was like, okay, you know, I guess he's about to perform and I wasn't really sure what exactly he was going to do, but I mean, he turned it out and, uh, you know, he, he, he dropped it and he was twerking and everything else. And it was just, it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, the crowd was just going crazy. And, um, so it, that, that's just to give a, just an instance of what it's like in there. Um, but it, it was definitely, it was definitely experience. Uh, definitely. Um, so I'm glad that I got to experience that last night uh, down in Charlotte. So my black excellence this week is, goes out to uh, Coco Goff. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. But um, I actually have just recently been introduced to her with watching uh, Wimbledon uh, this week. And so I tuned in to the first match when she played against Venus Williams. And uh, she actually defeated Venus and I actually have a quote, I have this pulled up somewhere, I think it's in my phone somewhere, um, that she that she stated uh, about Venus and her playing against Venus. And it was actually, um, I saved it somewhere, if I can find it here. Okay, here it is. Um, so she said, she said, after beating Venus, um, how Venus said, congratulations, and I told her, thank you for everything that you did. I wouldn't be here without you. I've always wanted to tell her that. And I thought that was beautiful because she, this is a prime example of how representation is so important. Um, that's why I wanted to just kind of speak on it because uh, she grew up watching um, Serena and Venus when she was young. And she actually talks about how she, you know, has a poster of Serena Williams on her wall. And so she started chasing a dream and, and it become it started becoming a passion for her from, you know, having that on, on the screen and being able to see it. And so it was actually really, really nice. But so when I was watching Friday, because um, I've watched every match, 
and I was watching Friday and I was, I was in the middle of working while I was kind of watching it. I had it on. And so she, when she got down the first set, she, um, Coco lost the first set. So then she, uh, so then she was down, it was like, I think maybe four, two in the second set. So I was like, okay, well, I guess she's about to lose, but I was like, you know, but she did a good job. I mean, either way, you know, she's 15 years old. Um, you know, she has a, a whole career ahead of her and in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, this is a good experience for her. So then I started uh, really paying attention to the match because she started coming back. So then I was like, wow, you know, when she tied the match and it ended up winning the second match, this the second set. So then after she won a second set, I was like, okay. And then she had got up, I think, 4-1 or 4-2 her way in, in the third set. And I was just watching and I said, you know what, in my mind, I'm like, you know, if she wins this uh, from a comeback victory and have so much poise like the way she did in this match, then this will definitely have everybody talking about her, which it does. And it has. And now, you know, she's becoming a little phenomenon, you know, at Wimbledon, but I'm just really, really excited to see her career because she can play. I've watched every match and I've just been blown away because, because she is balling. It's not just, Oh, she's just out there. No, like she is really playing. So definitely pay attention to her um, and definitely check her out. And, and let's see how she finished out uh, the Wimbledon tournament. Um, so the next thing that I want to discuss, uh, my favorite show right now, uh, which is Queen Sugar. So first, I just want to say I love, 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 love Queen Sugar. Um, Queen Sugar by itself to me can spark so many different conversations. It has so many pockets and nuggets of things that you can kind of just uh, or you want to talk about or, you know, talk about other people's experiences and, and what, and what they have going on. So, but with this season, um, I think the, I think the writing on this season is just amazing. Um, I was telling somebody the other day that I think Anva is just killing it this season. I think she's having the best season she's had on Queen Sugar. I mean, whoever is writing, um, for her this season and some of the monologues she's done, like that one scene where, uh, Nova came over and she was sitting at the table and she was telling Nova, you know, basically, I don't want nothing to do with you. And, um, that whole scene just gave me, that whole scene just gave me chills. It gave me just complete, complete, uh, chills. And, um, it's, it's been really, really, really good this season, but to get everybody caught up, I know sometimes we watch stuff out of order, so I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much. So this is um, a spoiler-free synopsis that I'm about to give. But to give a brief synopsis, um, so Nova this season, she decides to write a memoir. But the memoir wasn't just her story. She's telling the story about her family and all of her family secrets. And it's not just like basic secrets. It's like really heavy stuff that no one would really probably want shared. Um, Or, you know, it could have been something that it happened and, you know, you just move forward you know um or it could have been a time that might not have been kind of like in charlie's case some of the secrets that she told it it wasn't her best moments but i think sometimes we've all had not good moments that maybe we've learned from or maybe we've grown from and maybe somehow we you know could maybe be different now present day so it's kind of messed up for somebody to give your story and tell your story the way they want to about yourself without even consulting you and you're still alive, you know? Um, so with all of that, with this season, you're seeing basically the aftermath and the destruction of the family with the release of this book that Nova wrote. 
um, which led to me uh, with my thought of the week. Uh, you know, with watching Queen Sugar, uh, it shows so many different elements and so many different pockets that we see all the time, especially in our in our own family. You know, we have so many different levels of relationships. And so I wanted today to talk about um, family hurt. And, you know, and so my thought is, you know, why is family hurt the hardest? To me, when I think about family hurt, I feel that family is your first introduction of love. You know, when you're a baby and you're born, you're born to your parents. And this is your first introduction, you know, when you, you know, maybe your parents might have other kids. Now you have siblings. So now you have sisterly, brotherly love to your, you know, your siblings. And so this is the only love that, you know, before you go out into the world and maybe, you know, create your own or have your own love for somebody else. And so your family will, will be, and should always be the standard of, you know, love and who you, and who you should love first. Um, you know, in my mind, until you kind of create, you know, either have more of an extended family or create your own family. Um, so what happens in those instances where you have family that's full of toxicity? Cause I'm, I think all of us probably have somebody or something in their family to where, um, you know, it might be a toxic relationship. Uh, me personally, I've had to personally back up from, from family members and it's, and it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to put up boundaries, you know, and it took me a really long time to see and be okay with the fact that, um, you know, Mika, you might need to put up boundaries with this person, you know, um, and even, and even if it's family, you know, and it's okay. And, and I think because it is your family, you have so much guilt with, uh, you know, not setting boundaries or setting a standard you know, for, um, for those relationships. And I still struggle with this present day. Like I'm definitely not all the way perfect with this. I'm a lot more aware. I'm a lot more cognizant of just being able to say, Hey, you know, I, I don't want this from you. I can't deal this from you. I still love you, but I want to love you from a distance. You know, I have some family members. I might only see you at the cookout, you know, and it's okay. And when I see you, it's all love, you know, I just can't deal with you on an everyday capacity. You know, I, I love and respect everyone in my family, but, you know, setting those boundaries and those and setting different levels of standards in my relationships has made things a lot more healthier. It's honestly made me um, a lot happier. But is it hard? Absolutely. Um, but it's OK, you know, because like I stated, like because this is your first introduction of love, it's probably going to be your strongest level of love. And so if you, when you think about, think about it from that standpoint, you know, will you always be able to say no to that person? Probably not. And will you always be able to give proper reasoning, you know, because your, your mind sometimes can be saying one thing, your heart can be saying another thing. And, you know, you sometimes, you know, when you love somebody, you're going to probably go with your heart, which might be against, you know, your, your better judgment on, you know, um, what, what you might do. And so I can give a personal story, um, you know, about some struggles that I've had, I've had in my life in regards to, you know, family. And, um, I can speak on, um, my relationship with my dad. 
I also just want to give a disclaimer with this. Um, you know, I don't think it's right for me to give my dad's story um, because I don't I don't fully know his story and I never got the chance to fully understand his story. And so this is just my story of my experience with him. So, you know, I do want to say that first out of respect to my dad. But my dad passed away when I was 27 and he passed five days after his 50th birthday. And um, I remember during the time that that week of when he was um, before he passed, the Olympics was on. And, you know, he was so excited about, you know, him turning 50. We talked every day about the Olympics, you know, going into the weekend. I was going to go and see him um, for the weekend. And he was such a huge lover of sports. Um, it's where I got my love of sports from because my dad watched everything, you know. And, I mean, I'm kind of like that. Like, you know, I watch anything and everything. And, you know, he had such a, a good spirit with him, you know. I think that's what I love the most about my dad was that, you know, a lot of times my dad would be in pain or he – you know, probably didn't feel great or he would be, or, you know, maybe he was even sad about some things, which I'm, I'm sure he was. And he never, you know, he never complained. I I don't know a time that I've ever seen him ever complain. And I'm very much like him in a lot of ways when it come, when it comes to that. And it's a good, it's a good and bad thing. It's a good and bad thing because I don't usually complain about pretty much anything. Um, and, like I said, like I've become more vocal about uh, if I'm struggling with something because I've learned that you need to be vocal about your personal struggles. You know, as long as it's in a safe, safe space, you know, or with someone that you truly trust, but especially with someone that you love, like it's nothing wrong with you, you know, giving your truth and allowing that person to maybe be there for you or maybe help you in some kind of way. But my dad lived a life of personal struggle as an alcoholic. And when I was young, my memory of him was how hard he worked for us. And uh, my parents split when I was 12. And to be honest, I wasn't affected from the split because it was I never not seen my dad or heard from him um, ever. But as a child, you know, you don't really understand addiction. You know, it was nothing for me to run to the refrigerator and, you know, go get my dad a beer. Or, you know, watch him if we were there on the weekend, you know, watch him drink, you know, maybe even smoke a joint. Like I didn't I didn't think anything of it because it was a normal thing for me, you know, to see. And so when I was young, you know, especially before my teenage years and even at the early at the early moments, I didn't realize that, you know, he was an alcoholic, you know, um, because I just thought it was just normal behavior. Uh, it wasn't until. Um, maybe around my junior, senior year of high school, going into college, um, was when, you know, I started realizing how I felt that he was going downhill in his addiction and, you know, it wasn't drugs. It was with drinking. Um, he still called every day. We still were able to see him. Um, and he was very much involved, like, you know, emotionally, you know, he never was violent towards us. Never, you know, by far. Uh, when he was, you know, normal, his normal self, he was the sweetest man, um, you know, ever, you know, always hugged and kissed us, always told us he loved us, um, always. But at times when he was drunk, I can recall him, you know, being mean. And um, it started to increase, you know, and, and that's when, you know, I felt like, 
around when I was 17, 18, he started to, you know, give up on life. Drinking became an all day thing. You know, he stopped working. And so at this point, he would sit at home all day and drink. You know, before it might have been that he might go to work and when he came in from work, you know, he would have he would have a beer, you know, well, some beer, you know. But now at this point, you know, now he's not drinking at all. And now you start seeing the shift. So, you know, I remember when um, when I went to college, I would get into the habit of um, putting my phone on silent at night because when he would get drunk and call, um, he would call all times of night. And you never you never knew when you were going to get a call or or what he was even going to entail. But, you know, sometimes it was moments where he would call and, you know, he'll cuss you out. And with those calls, when he um, would cuss you out, it was usually for no reason. You know, it, he wouldn't even remember the next day that he even um, that he even called. And as I went to my 20s, you know, um, in my early 20s, it started to become a burden, you know, to see your father who you love, you know, your first introduction of love, you know, kill himself. And that was my reality um, every day, you know. Um, when he was sober and we had normal conversations, they would be the most phenomenal conversations. My dad was actually, um, really educated. It was really great conversation, but, you know, I would try to catch him early, you know, earlier in the day, because by the time, you know, later in the day would get here, you know, he more than likely would be drunk at that point. And so, you know, then you, you might get, you know, uh, a different conversation depending on what level of drunk he was. And looking back on it now, you know, uh, than, than before, you know, I, if I had a regret, um, it definitely would have been, um, well, it's not even if I, I do regret, um, you know, just not having a conversation of let's get you help or what, what is your story? You know, uh, I was building up the courage to have this you know, prolific conversation with him, um, because I wanted to understand, you know, why, um, you know, and what, what sparked this or, or if anything, um, cause usually with addiction, it's usually coupled with something else. And so I wanted to know what, what it was. Um, and I never got the courage to have that conversation. And if, if I had a regret, you know, honestly, in, in life, it would be, that I wish that I would have just had that conversation just just to even just have a better understanding. And maybe I would have never had an understanding. I don't know. Um, but in my mind, I feel like, you know, maybe I would have. But, you know, this is probably just a daughter loving a father. I'm, I'm not really sure. But, you know, instead of having that conversation, I just continued um, to watch, you know, the demise of him. And sometimes I feel like, you know, it was necessary for me to have this experience because it was necessary for me to see what addiction does to a family. Um, and for me, it made me extremely hyper aware um, because I don't ever want to be an alcoholic and I don't ever want to fall in addiction in any kind of way. Um, I don't do drugs at all. I've always stayed away from drugs, you know, and even if I, you know, have a drink or two, like I never you know, get wasted or, um, you know, just be completely inappropriate with drinking just because I, I've experienced firsthand, um, 
what it can do and how, you know, it can, how it affects other people around you. And so, um, that's something that I'm actually really thankful for because addiction runs really heavily on my, in my family, um, on both sides, my mom and dad. And so, um, I never wanted to be caught up in that. And then also, you know, if I ever have, you know, children, um, I don't want my kids to ever experience, um, me, you know, uh, not fully with them all the time or having a different person at any given moment. So what do you do with this? Um, you know, this is my father who I love and I know love me, but due to his addiction, he's completely incapable of a healthy relationship. And I was completely incapable of ever setting any kind of real boundary. Um, I never could bring myself to not pick up the phone. Uh, I literally instilled no level of boundary with my father. Um, the year he died, I believe he knew he was going to die as well as I, um, his conversation was completely different. You know, I felt that he was trying to explain more things about life to me or, you know, making sure that I have life insurance and, you know, making sure that, you know, I always have my stuff in order or take care of this and take care of that. And then it became more of a, you know, he wanted me to go to the doctor with him and, and actually sit in the doctor's office with him, you know, uh, to know like his history or things that he might've done. And he just was so much more transparent in, in the eight months of that year than I think that we've ever had just complete transparency. And it was almost like he was preparing me for, you know, him, um, you know, passing away. So by the time that he passed away in August, um, you know, I cried when I got the call, but, um, after that I didn't cry anymore. And I remember my sister's when we were getting everything together for the funeral and, you know, we were just kind of with each other, they just kept looking at me and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at them and we're just looking at each other and they're crying and, and I didn't cry. And everybody was just, I, th I think everybody was waiting for, um, I think they thought that I was going to like have a complete like meltdown sooner or later at the funeral or something was going to happen where I just had like a mental break or something. And, you know, um, and I didn't. And, you know, what people didn't know, because I never talked about it, is that I cried over my dad pretty much my entire adult life, you know. And so when he when he passed, you know, I felt at peace with it. You know, I was sad. I was hurt that I lost my friend. But I was also tired. You know, I was I was extremely tired, you know, by that time I got here because I felt like I spent pretty much my adult life waiting for the phone call saying that he was dead. And so when I finally got that call, I didn't really know really how to process it because you're waiting for a moment that you know is going to come. And you've been waiting for that moment for years that you knew was going to come, you know? And yeah, I think that's the first time I've ever said that out loud, but it, but it's the truth. And um, so I think I've just been preparing. It's almost like, you're you're getting ready to go to war so you're just preparing for war and now you're there now you're in war you know and now it's happened and so you know once he had passed I just kind of was just you know there and um and and I just I really I, I don't know if I had a if it had a true effect really and I don't think people will ever understand unless you really experience it what it's like to see someone kill themselves and I was angry at him for 
a long time and I didn't even realize that I was angry until after he died and I was angry that I, I, I felt like that he didn't want to live for me and my siblings but now I understand a little bit more that that's addiction you know that's what addiction does to you but you know it it angered me that you know um he you know wasn't going to be here for when we have kids and um I never got to experience that with him and I was only 27 and that's still really young you know and so you know I miss him every day and so obviously I wanted him to be in my life and so I was really you know I was really upset by that and I was really hurt by that what I want to express in this episode is you know don't be afraid to communicate your thoughts or feelings to your family um you know I was afraid to ask my dad you know what we, what he was going through um because it was my dad and I was always raised that you know you honor your mother and father and you don't you know disrespect them in any kind of way and my dad very much was like an alpha male and you know he demanded respect you know at, I don't think any of us um ever talked to him crazy or disrespectful in any type of way ever and so um you know I, I always questioned was I being disrespectful or was I overstepping my boundaries? Um, and looking back now, you know, I wish that I did, even if, even if it didn't change, you know, um, him or the relationship, you know, I wished what I would have said, I wish I would have said, um, how I was feeling, you know, for myself, um, to begin the healing and release the anger and hurt because it's harder to get past hurt and anger when the person is not here because, you know, I have questions now that I really would like to process, you know, that I can't fully process because it's, it's his story, you know, and nobody can tell the story, you know, I can't say what's the reasons or what, what he was going through. You know, I can assume, you know, but I don't really know, you know? And so, um, I wish that, you know, I would have asked questions. I wish that I would have tried to, uh, get him help in some kind of way. And now when I, you know, talk to people, I'm always um, an advocate of communicating. And if you feel like that you can't communicate on your own or get your feelings across or say the things that's necessary for you to say, even if it's just for yourself or maybe, you know, it could help that person or make them see something different. Go to therapy and do it and do it with a, a third party, you know. And, you know, don't be afraid and say some of the things you want to hear because, you know, say some of the things that you want to say, I mean, but because family hurt is a hurt that will impact, impact you the most. And, you know, and it leaves you, you know, with scars. Um, so, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to walk around with that. And also, you know, times when you have relationships and you're trying to build other relationships, if you're walking around with scars and baggage, you know, you're just bringing those hurts or those fears or those situations, you know, into something else with somebody else. So, um, you know, my biggest advice is, you know, please be good to yourself and to each other. And if you're ever in a situation where you have a toxic relationship, even in your family, you know, give yourself permission to say no and, you know, live your life. You know, I tell, I say this all the time that we only have one life. Um, and it's the one that we're living right now. So live that shit to the best of your abilities and be happy, you know? And it's, it's funny because I say all the time, you know, being happy is, you know, a choice, but it's so easy to make the choices or to put in 
you know, relationships um, that impacts that happy. So we got to just be cognizant of that and be mindful of that. Um, And so, you know, communicate with each other and break down walls and break down barriers and change narratives, even if it's inside of your family. I want to thank you so much for tuning in today and uh, sharing with me. Um, Also, thank you so much for all the feedback that I've gotten from my, you know, first two episodes. It's definitely a journey. I want you to continue, you know, sharing with me and rocking with me. And, you know, if you want to provide feedback, you know, do so. You can find me on uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And um, it's just my thoughts, the podcast. And this is Mika, and I appreciate you. Talk to you again next week.